It is a distinct pleasure to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, I am JP's little brother, much younger, much <laughs> younger little brother. Um, and uh, my wife and I are in Houston, Texas these days. I'm also employed by a church there. That just seems to be what the Morris men do these days. And uh, we are on Thanksgiving vacation, and it, it has become a real joy for us. This is kind of the one week a year we can count on being in Georgia with our family, and then with this family as well. And it's always something I look forward to, to get to open the scriptures while here. And so it's good to see all of you this morning, and it's a distinct pleasure to open God's word with you. We're going to learn this morning something together that I think uh, can buoy our souls, that can serve as an anchor no matter what comes. And we've heard the text read over us, but the phrase that I hope we resonate with deeply and that we kind of take and spin this morning and see from several different angles is this. Jesus is the storm master. He is in charge of storms. There's no storm that surprises Jesus. There's no storm that swamps him or overwhelms him. He is the master of storms. He's in control of them. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to see that from this text. I'm going to try to prove it in several different ways. But before we even get there, I want to invite you to do something with me at the outset. Would you consider a personal storm? Think about it. Something that you've either walked through recently, maybe you're in right now. The thing that keeps you up at night. The thing that generates anguish or distress. One of, the, one of the words that's going to be used to the disciples in this passage it says they were making headway painfully. It literally means they were tormented. So before we start this morning, would you think about that with me? That thing, that relationship, that heartache. Because I'm going to dare to believe that even this morning, that particular storm, we're going to see that Jesus doesn't just cruise into the Sea of Galilee and calm storms, but we're going to see that he is the master of storms still today. And whatever it is that, that generates the anguish and the torment, the, the anxiety, he truly is master of the storm. He's not caught off guard by it. And so as we spin that phrase, we're going to see it in three different ways. And the first way we're going to see it is this. Jesus is the storm master because he sends his followers into storms. He sends his followers into storms. Let's look back at this passage, if you would, from Mark 6. Starting in verse 45, it says this, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So immediately he made them get in the boat and go. If we were to read the greater context, what we would realize is this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And we would know that if we read the details of that story, it was 5,000 men, but there are also many women and children there as well. So this great sea of humanity. Some have, have guessed maybe as, as high as 20,000 people filling the countryside that have all just had their bellies filled, right? And they are ecstatic, thinking, if we could just crown him as king right now, we would never hunger again. Everything would be okay. And so there was great uproar among the tens of thousands in this place. They were ready to crown him as king in that moment. 
And it says that the disciples themselves were still at this point pretty confused about who Jesus was and what he was there to do. So we could conjecture that they were involved in the melee, right? They're, they're ready. Like, let's do this. Now's the time, Jesus. Let's go storm the capital. And it's in that moment that Jesus turns to him and it says he made them. Immediately he made them. This, uh, c- commentators would say, has the weight of a divine command. It's as if they couldn't not do it. He said, go get in the boat right now. And they got on the boat and left. Interestingly, did Jesus, was he surprised or was he, he unaware of the fact that a storm was about, about to blow up in Galilee? Well, no. I mean, we, we know in this moment that Jesus is maintaining the order, but he's also got a, a divine intersection marked out for his disciples as he puts them in a boat and he sends them out to the waters. The reality is this. These disciples do not end up in a storm that Jesus didn't send them into. And this morning, as we start to kind of wrap our heads, our hearts, our minds around whatever the personal storms we walk through, we need to come to this reality as well. There is no storm that we will ever find ourselves in that's catching Jesus off guard. There's no such thing. And in fact, I'm going to be so bold as to say this. Following Jesus multiplies storms. You hear that? Some of us think that if I just say yes to Jesus, all my storms are going to go away. The truth is, if we, could, if we could line the disciples up on these first couple of rows and just interview them, they would say, man, life was a lot simpler before I started traveling with Jesus. Like the storms kind of got out of control when I lined myself up with him. You see, because Jesus multiplies storms. Follow me on this. If, if whatever these storms are that you have in your mind, if, if we could stand up one by one and start naming them, my guess is that 98% of them would be relational in nature. That most of us feel the, the strain of life, the struggles of life, where we need Jesus more than ever in relationship. It's where we're cut most deeply. It's where our torment and our struggle often comes from. The wayward child that our heart burns for the friend or family member that we're not getting along with like we used to, the person that we love and we don't get to see anymore, that we feel these storms in a very real way, most often at some relational point. But here's Jesus who stands and he tells his disciples, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He sends us into relational storms. He says that if you're coming to the table, if you're coming to worship and you realize that your brother or your sister has something against you, stop what you're doing and go take care of that. In a sense, he's sending us right back into storms. He's saying, go back to where the heartache is and deal with that. Because Jesus, the storm master, directs our paths into choppy waters. He does it over and over and over again. Proverbs 16.9 is going to say that man charts out his path, but God's the one who's directing his steps. In Psalm 23, we see that when David is inviting us to be like a sheep that's being led by the good shepherd, it says that when we get on the paths of righteousness in verse 3, all of a sudden in verse 4, it's plunging into the valley of the shadow of death. This interesting reality that it's actually the path of righteousness that ends up in the valley. And all of a sudden we think we must have taken a wrong turn to end up in a storm like this. No, we're probably getting closer to following Jesus than we could have possibly imagined. You see, it's when we say yes to Jesus that our storms begin to multiply. Um, I was reminded of this recently. I I have a neighbor that um, in some ways is difficult at first blush to love, right? Right? 
Maybe some of us have a neighbor like that, that when we first moved in, we thought, oh, wow, this is, this is going to be interesting. Um, and I have. I've, I've come to love him. And actually, I've spent many nights, because of God's grace and his work in our life, we've begun to pray for him at night, realizing we have received so much. How could we not extend grace to this guy? And as I've tried to follow Jesus into what I thought could be choppy waters, I realized that they certainly were. And on one particular evening, he and his wife made the comment to me, you know, we actually don't have any friends other than you, and we need to talk to you about something. And so I end up standing in their kitchen with all three of our tears splattering on a linoleum floor as they tell me that addiction is destroying their marriage and that they are at wit's end. And in that moment, those of you who found yourself in that space where someone shares something with you that you're over your head, right? I'm past my pay grade. I don't, I don't know what to say here. Um, in that moment, you feel like the waters are pretty choppy. I felt like the wind was blowing pretty heavy in that moment. And I knew, I knew that Jesus had put me right there. But it was by saying yes to him that I found myself into a storm where now all of a sudden I'm going, well, I don't know what to do now that I'm here. But I'm here, Jesus, right? I have another friend who actually helped establish the ministry that I now lead. Years ago, he helped start it. And uh, he has had some run-ins in church, which probably not a huge surprise, right? If you've been around church for enough years, you've probably had some run-ins. That's, that's what happens. And... Uh, he, he, he ended up getting frustrated. He said, you know what, I'm just going to start going to a different church every week and just seeing how other people worship so that I can be anonymous, I can hide out. And uh, he's now been doing this for almost four years. I love this brother. I love him. But he has started to wither. His faith and the, the, the strength of what he stands on is starting to wither. And he's, he's kind of started to confess this to a few friends. And it's because our humanity actually starts to ebb away as we remove ourselves from relationship. You see, the truth is, if, we are tr- if you're trying to minimize storms in your life, wherever you're saying, my goal is to minimize storms, you're not following Jesus. Because when we start to make life about, I am going to insulate myself from hurt, choppy waters, wind and waves, in that moment where we make that conscious decision, wherever I feel like there might be some choppy waves over there, I'm going to go the other direction, we probably just veered off of the path of Jesus. Because he directs us into them. Here we see it very real, in a very real sense with his, his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Immediately he made them get into the boat and he said, I'm setting you adrift in the waters. I'll put it this way. When we consider this, this reality, whatever it is that we've conjured to mind at the beginning of our time, wherever you're situated or have been, the first reality, the first moment where we're going to start to step into the beauties of Jesus being the king of the storm is that we realize we're not here by accident. This is not a surprise. But that's not all. Because the truth is, if, if that were the end of the story, it's, it's not really that encouraging. <laughs> like, we just start to wonder, well... Okay, that's good. You're telling me Jesus sends me into storms. Isn't that wonderful? But then he sounds just kind of cruel if he's just all of a sudden sending all of his followers into choppy waters. But that's not the end of the story. The second reality that we see here, the reason Jesus is the master of the storm is he doesn't just send us into it, but he meets us in the midst of it. 
He sends us into the storm and then he meets us in the midst of it. Look back at verse 48 with me, if you would. It says, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Okay, hold on. So Jesus can see them. Did you hear that? And he saw. So he goes up on the mountain, and and the idea is that he's gone to get alone with the Father. This is oftentimes what Jesus does when there's a lot going on. He had just heard that John the Baptist had died. The reason that they had gone to this particular area of the country where the 5,000 were fed were to get alone and to be quiet. But the thousands found them out. So he was mourning the loss of his friend. All of a sudden, everybody wants to name him king. Jesus is just in the throes of all the emotions of life. And in this moment, he finally gets alone up on the mountain. The crowds are gone. He's meeting with the Father, and it says, and he could see in the distance that his disciples were being tormented by the waves. He saw them. The second half of verse 40 says, says 48, the second half says, And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Here's a little pop quiz. When is the fourth watch of the night? Between 3 and 6 a.m. So we're probably in that 4 a.m. range. The darkest part of the night. Um, presumably, they were sent out after dinner as the sun was going down, as they're dismissing the crowds. Presumably, the disciples have been at it for a long time, right? They were sent out after the food was fed and and regathered. They've been sent out, and Jesus could see them the whole time. But it's not until four in the morning that he comes out and meets them in the storm. He sure took his time. He sure took his time watching his disciples being tormented by the waves, wondering if they're going to make it through. No doubt they're wind-torn. Their voice is hoarse from yelling at each other over the waves and the rain. They're scared. They're wondering if they're going to make it. They've been rowing against the wind for hours. And Jesus has been watching it. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus takes his time? You know, oftentimes it's when we're in the midst of the storm that we wonder, can he see? Is he just cruel? Has he forgotten? And the truth is, Jesus is not cruel, and he hasn't forgotten, and he does see. He's watching his disciples row against the wind, and he's taking his time. So, if Jesus is not delaying, if he's not cruel, and he's not blind, then then what is it that he's doing? What is it that he's doing? Why does he wait till four in the morning to show up? You see, it's actually the storm that reveals the glory of the storm master. It's the weight and the depth and the destruction of the storm, the heartache, the the struggle against the storm that's going to reveal the one walking on the waves. The storm reveals something about the hearts of the people in the storm as well as the glory of the one over the storm. He is patient and gracious. He is not slow and cruel. Let me say that again. He is patient and he's gracious. He is not slow and he's not cruel. You see, he comes walking down into the storm at four in the morning and, uh, and he scares them. They are, they are taken aback. It says, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out, for they all saw him and they were terrified. Uh, I'm reminded of um, Ashley's my wife's brother, Austin, is a, is a dear friend. 
I love Austin. And he and his sweet wife um, longed to have a baby. And uh, some of you could have, maybe have a similar story. It was really difficult for them. And three years into that process, um, and several miscarriages, they were really getting to the point where they were going, don't know if this storm's ever going to lift, right? And I remember going to visit them just after um, Julie had had her third miscarriage, and they had sent out the all call. I mean, every friend, every family member in every state, they had said, we kind of kept this quiet early on, but we're sick of it. We want to pound on the gates of heaven, calling to God for his grace. They had been praying. We had been so convinced that this third pregnancy was going to be the one that was God's answer, and they lost this child. And one morning early, Austin and I got up to go for a run. And we were running, and he said, man, I just, I, I know he's good, and I know he listens, but it's really hard to believe right now. I'm just wondering, has he just forgotten about us? And we talked that morning, we prayed as we ran, and he made a decision of the will that was so encouraging to watch. He said, I'm going to choose to keep believing, but gosh, I just don't think he's looking anymore. I think he's cruel. And you know, even what I saw taking, heart, taking part in Austin's heart that morning, it resembles in some ways verse 50, the tail end of verse 50 for me. They see him and they were terrified. It says, but immediately he spoke to them and he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That Jesus shows up in the midst of the storm and he gives this word of encouragement. He says, take heart. Literally, he says, I am, do not be afraid. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. When he says that, the storm is still raging. He's not in the boat yet. He's standing across from them on the water. It's not going to be until the next verse when he crawls into the boat that the waves stop. So here's Jesus showing up and he begins to calm the internal storm before he does anything about the circumstantial storm. Do you see this? That these disciples are wondering, are we going to die? Do you care? Are you blind? Are you cruel? And he shows up and he speaks truth about himself and says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. And he begins to calm the internal storm before anything changes in the circumstantial storm. You see, he meets them in the storm. But it raises a question for me. One thing about this passage, I don't know if you caught this, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me at first blush. The the second half of verse 48 says, he meant to pass by them. He meant to pass by them. Help me with this. So they've been fighting the wind and the waves all night long. Jesus has been watching. They're wondering if they're going to die. And here he comes walking across the water, and it says he intended to pass by them. He was just going to walk. I'm just strolling out on the water. Hey, guys, how you doing? Like, that, that was his plan, it sounds like. What is going on there? Why is it that the one who's been watching them fight the wind and the waves is just going to pass by? It's a beautiful reality that the very same words used of he will pass by them as what's used in Exodus 33. Exodus 33, the same, the Greek translation of Exodus 33 uses the exact combination of words. And it's in that passage where God says to Moses, I'm going to hide you in the rock and then I'm going to let my glory pass by you. 
My glory is going to pass by and you're going to know that I'm God. I'm going, to procl- I'm going to proclaim my name and you're going to see the backside of my glory. The other time this, this term is used, the passing by of the presence of God, Job chapter 9, it says, He alone is God, in verse 8 and verse 11, who treads upon the waves and makes His presence to pass by. You see, the whole idea in the storm was this. Not primarily that it would be stopped, but that it would reveal the glory of the storm master. Hear this. Jesus was passing by because the idea is my presence and my power, the fact that I hold everything together, I am Yahweh, God of creation in flesh, the fact that I am present is enough. And then when He stands across from the waves, before He makes the wave stop, He says, take heart, I am Also from Exodus, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus is saying this. I'm king of this storm. And in the midst of feeling wind-torn and struggling, look to me and realize, it doesn't catch me off guard. And I've got you. You see, he wasn't passing by because he had no compassion. He was passing by because of his compassion. He wanted them to know that he is the glorious king and he's got everything under control. So here's Jesus calming the internal storm. Before we move on to the final thing that the storm master does, I'd like to just highlight three things about the way he, he shows up in the storm. Because for some of you who've been calling out to Jesus and you feel like maybe he's up on the mountain watching you to the fourth watch of the night, three rules of thumb for the way the storm master shows up in the storm. One, we have to, first of all, we have to expect him to show We have to expect and know that he is going to show. That if we're going to respond rightly and we're going to meet him in the storm, the first thing is that we just expect it. But secondly, expect it much later than you would have chosen. Just go ahead and mark that down. If you're entering stormy waters, expect that he's going to reveal his glory over the long haul. And if we just want the storm to stop, we may not actually be willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads. So we expect him to show, but we expect him to show a lot later. And finally, expect him to show in a surprising way. Because he shows up and they think it's a ghost and they're screaming terrified. This is not what they were hoping for. I remember sitting with a friend recently that was in the midst of one of these storms, just undone. And they were sharing some things that were going on, crying, and, and we were crying together, praying, and they said, I just am convinced that God has left me. And as graciously but as strongly as I could, I said, what do you call this? You're in the midst of a community that loves you and is going to fight with you through every bit of it. And I'm sitting here with you, and there's others that would sit here with you. You see that God is already breaking through with answers to your prayer. You're not alone. But oftentimes we have the wrong lens on. We want God to show up in the way we want Him to show up, and we're missing the fact that He's actually already beginning to answer our prayers. You see, we've got to expect Him to show in ways that that maybe we weren't expecting. So finally, He's the storm master because He's actually orchestrated the storm. It's not a surprise to Him. Secondly, He's the storm master because He meets us in the midst of it. But finally, He stills the storm. He does still the storm. He puts an end to it. Let's read about this in verse 51 and 52. It says, He got into the boat with them and the wind 
ceased. They were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, when Jesus climbs into the boat, storms run and hide. Did you see that? The wind ceased. They said, the storm masters here, we're done. That when Jesus climbs into the boat, the winds stop. It's interesting, in John's telling of this same story, he doesn't mention that the winds stop. He just says, our boat got to the other side. And it's not that they're telling a different story. It's not that they disagree on the details. But it's as if John is so focused on the fact that when Jesus is in the boat, everything's okay. He doesn't even make comment about the waves. He just says, we made where we, where we were going. You see that all of a sudden when Jesus is in the boat, the storm becomes so secondary. Wind, no wind, I am going to make it to the destination because the one who is the master of the storms is sitting in the bow. That all of a sudden, in this particular story, Mark highlights the fact that the winds are done. A hush. And they're utterly astounded, trying to make sense of what they've just experienced. We've seen it happen. It doesn't always happen like this. But even our, our brother-in-law, Ashley's brother, my brother-in-law, just after that conversation, when he made a decision, when he began to step into this beautiful reality of saying, okay, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. The winds are still there, but I'm going to keep my eyes on him. Uh, they got a call just a few weeks later for a little boy that had been placed for adoption. And they hadn't been on any sort of list. Someone had just mentioned them, thought of them, And in a matter of six weeks, Troy became um, our nephew. And we believe that from the beginning of time, God had marked out for this child to be a part of this family. And that they, by their own admission, if any one of those three pregnancies had come to full term, they would have been overwhelmed with what they were in the midst of and not ready to respond as quickly to that call. And so although it was not the way we would have written it up, it came a lot later and it was a surprising phone call. It's not what we were expecting. There was an answer and a very real little boy where God was working something that we could have never imagined at the outset. Interestingly, just a couple months later, they got pregnant with Porter. (laughs) And they got two children in the matter of a year. Um, And so they have had their prayers answered abundantly that all of a sudden we're all going, okay, we need to hold off on the, like, the all-call prayer thing because God may still just, he may just be like enacting this thing um, that they went from zero to two in a year. It doesn't always happen that way. He, he calms the storm in a myriad of ways. But when the storm master is in the boat, we're going to make it to our destination. And uh, I'll say it like this, that there... There's this reality that even still, this is not a completely complete story. Did you feel that? What's the final note that we just read about? Can somebody read that back to me? What's the final editorial comment made amidst stilled waves? What's it say? Their hearts are hard. Now, what's the, aren't we supposed to have these nice little Bible stories that finish and everything's okay? What is this? The storm was raging, Jesus showed up, the storm went away, everything's supposed to be good, and then you get this editorial comment at the end. By the way, the disciples still don't get it. I want the bow at the end of the story. So what's going on here? Why is it that when Jesus is in the boat, the waves are gone, but it says the disciples didn't get the loaves and the fish, and they don't get the storm, and their hearts are hard? 
The truth is, their story is not complete yet. They haven't seen all that Jesus has come to do. And what we have just established is a reality for the storm master. They had not been able to see cosmically completed. But we have. Follow me on this. Jesus is the storm master on the span of history. He has sent us into a world that is rocked by a storm of sin. Wind and waves that when we are born into this world, when little Porter, that we, you look at him and you just say, so precious, right? Untainted by anything of this world. But the truth is that he is going to be rocked by the storm of sin. It's already in his soul and it's swamping his boat. That we are set adrift in the midst of an amazing storm just by virtue of being in the world. And Jesus is not surprised by it. The world is not a mistake. It didn't get away from God's hands when he was creating it. It, wasn't, it didn't slip out of his hands and he said, oh, that's a shame. All of this brokenness and sin worked its way into the system. He designed the system. He is over the system. And he is the master of the system. He's the master of the storm. And beautifully, Jesus, seated on high for millennia, surrounded by the praise of angels, says, send me into the midst of the storm. He had been watching. It did not surprise him. God was not cruel or impatient, or pardon me, he was not slow. He was gracious and he was on time. And Jesus stepped into this world, not just onto the Sea of Galilee, but into a little manger in Bethlehem that we're about to celebrate all together. Do you know what that is? That's a proclamation that I'm going to meet you in the midst of your storm. That's what Bethlehem is. Whatever brokenness and sin is rocking in this world, I'm coming. I have a crash course with the storm, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to walk across the waves like the only God that is king of all. And then beautifully, at Calvary, he stills the storm. Did you hear the songs we sung this morning? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that rescues and wins. It's our song It's the only song we have to sing. And it's the reason that the disciples' hearts are still hard. They don't know yet. They don't realize that the internal storm has still yet to be calmed. They don't really understand what Jesus has come to do. Their hearts have not seen it yet. This is why the disciples are so thick-headed for three plus years. But when they behold the glory of the King, they go on mission with Him and they don't look back. They say, we've seen it. He has calmed the storm we're going to make it to our destination. And so this morning, the reality is is simply this. Whatever the circumstantial storm that we find ourselves in, would we take a long, deep breath and turn our gaze to the one who is the storm master? He's not surprised by it. And when we walk with him, the storms are going to multiply. But it's in those storms that we're going to see his glory revealed. We're going to have a greater capacity to know and love him and walk with him. And on the backside, we're going to sing a song that is richer and deeper and more textured than we could have ever imagined because we know he treads upon the waves. He doesn't leave us there. He meets us there. He's rescued me. How many stories we could tell. He showed up. And he rescued me. And it's those stories, it's those dark moments that speak of the glories of the storm master. So if you're not in a storm right now, if right now is relative calm and peace, would you, would you 
allow this to be an anchor for your soul right now. In the midst of the calm, to turn your eyes and say, I know that another one's going to come. But I made a decision in the land of calm waters that I was going to keep my eyes on the storm master and he's going to take me to my destination. And this morning, if you find yourself in the midst of a storm, would you take heart and hear, do not be afraid. I am Jesus saying, I tread upon the waves, and if you call me into your boat, waves, no waves, we're getting to the destination. I am with you. <sighs> Praise God this morning that we have not been left alone. We're not alone in the wind and the waves. We know the storm master, his name is Jesus, and he is wanting to ride in your boat. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we pause and we recognize that you know us and you love us. That is stunning. Would you forgive us for getting just so used to that? That maybe we've been around church so long that those words don't have the weight they should. Would you this morning all over again stun us with the reality that you are our Father and that you simultaneously hold the universe together by your word? such that when we call out to you, you hear us and you can actually do something about it. Would you increase our faith this morning? Would you increase our capacity to receive you and to love you, to say yes to you? God, I pray for every man or woman in this room that feels like they're being tossed by the waves this morning. In your grace and in your goodness, would you restore their hope to them? Would you come to them? Would they feel the presence of the storm master crawling into their boat, sitting down with them and saying, I'm going to take you to the other side. We love you and we're so grateful that you don't leave us alone, that you've come and you've met us in the midst of it. We bless you, we pray it in the matchless and the powerful name of King Jesus, the storm master.